Hey, 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 you guys. Thank y'all so much for being back on Black Canvas Season 7. And I have an amazing special guest here with us on the show today. And he doesn't know this, but he's actually my final guest for Season 7. Um, I'm going to be starting Season 8 a little later on today. So I'm so excited to have Mr. David Gregory with us. He is a former infantry Marine and a private contractor who sustained a traumatic brain injury in Iraq, who now leads people through holotrophic breathwork and psychedelic assisted therapy in order to heal trauma. His emphasis is on the wounded, masculine and feminine, and we're so glad to have Mr. David Gregory with us. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm just very, very excited to have you here today. And I have some fun questions and I have some hard hitting questions as well, but I thought it would be great to have you as a guest. I'm just, first of all, thank you so much for your service. Um, my cousin is a Marine and I just know how hard it is for people to be out there, um, not knowing what may or may not happen, um, if you'll make it back alive or not, going through so many traumatic situations. And I, first of all, I wanna thank you for being here first off serving our country and then also being open and honest to share your story with us. I really appreciate that so much. Yeah, you're worth it. I, I thank you for that. So I have some some questions for you. I'm going to start with a fun one before we get into some of the heavier ones. So the first question I have is, can you tell our listeners about your hometown and who inspired you growing up? Yeah, so uh, I was born in California, uh, Southern California, but I was pretty predominantly raised in Hawaii, um, in Kailua on the island of Oahu. And um, my father would be my greatest influence. He was a Marine. I watched him night and day uh, being a leader, always, you know, as a single father, making dinner, you know, Christmas dinner. And before we would eat, we would go out to all the posts and he would feed his Marines first, and then we would come home and eat. And that really inspired me. Uh, I, I loved that selflessness. And, and eventually, I uh, would join the Marine Corps and mirror a lot of that leadership style. And I love that you said that, David, about just having that strong presence in your life, especially someone who you admired because it, it kind of propelled you into your career work of just being able to pay it forward in a different way, in your own way. And I, I love that experience because um, not every, of course, kid has that male role model that they can look up to and someone who can kind of show you what it means to kind of be um, authentic in yourself and not having to do things for others and, and expect things in return. And so I love that you say, hey, dad was in the kitchen cooking and then you were able to kind of see that and just how he was able to allow other people to feel blessed to be in his presence. And he felt the same in return. I, I love that. Oh, yeah. So let's kind of go into um, one question I really think would be great leading into some others we're going to be talking about. So um, where have you found the most success in your healing and who inspired you um, in the process of healing yourself? Uh, definitely the most success I've found is either in meditation and, or plant medicine. Uh, plant medicine is not for everybody, but 
it gives a person a chance to face their ego and then kind of like get that karmic snowball rolling down the hill, which just adds to our consciousness. And the, the bigger that snowball gets um, in dealing with our ego and our, our karma, uh, the more consciousness we kind of like develop. And when we take bad things that don't serve our higher self out, we get a chance to place good things within that kind of like circle. And breath work is beautiful because, you know, the holotropic breath work, you can do the, the breath work. And it's kind of like psychosystem therapy. You don't have to do plant medicine, but you can get the same result in the sense that uh, the holotropic breath work just helps you get to kind of like a psychedelic state without psychedelics. Okay, so I really want to kind of break down the holotropic um, breath work if you have kind of a moment for us to kind of talk about it. Yeah. Now, I'm not as well-versed with it. I do know a few things about it. So I wanted to kind of just tell you what I knew about it and you can just tell me if I'm correct or not and you can kind of break it down for me. But from what I've heard, I've heard it's more like controlled breathing that goes on and it helps you to get to access like the altered state of consciousness. And I've also heard that they use a thing called, I think it's a, a breather and a sitter or something. Is that correct? So the, the late, well, yeah, uh, the easiest way to explain holotropic breath work or circular breath work or rebirthing is that you're laying down, there's three breaths, belly, chest, inhale, and then exhale. And the science behind it is when we're doing this holotropic breath work in these two breaths, belly, chest, and then the exhale, what's happening is you're forcing this fluid from the uh, sacrum at the base of the spine up and up and up. And the breath is actually just massaging all the organs and the muscles to push against the spine. And when that, I call it sacred fluid, hits the pineal gland, the pineal gland is the receiver in the, the brain to what we would call source or God. And so once it hits, the pineal gland has crystals within when it, uh, within it, and those crystals then vibrate. So when we have like an existential experience or when we're meditating really, really deeply, um, we can get that experience. And I call it the abyss of bliss because once all that fluid hits the pineal gland, it's boom, tap, outer space. And you are connecting with the inner space within you and the outer space outside of you. And so some people would call that God. Some people call that source. I call it source, uh, one in the same. And in that experience, you have the opportunity to deal with trauma, um, 
sit in the abyss of bliss and feel whatever comes your way, whatever downloads you get. Thank you so much for explaining that, David. Like I said, I wasn't as well aware of it. I'm going to definitely research a lot more about it. But I did hear as well, um, does like rhythmic music, does that help as well with, with the breathing when you're going to that um, consciousness level? Or what are some things you can do to assist in that process as well? Yeah, so in my class, uh, I use, well, class, I also, also call it a ceremony because I think once you reach a, a certain state of consciousness, everything is a, is a ceremony. You know, when we sit down, we pray over our food. And that's not just religious. It's the spiritual aspect of putting a vibration into our food. When we make love, it should be a ceremony. Everything, when we wake up, we think good thoughts. Uh, everything is a ceremony unto ourself and outside of ourself. So the music is beautiful in the sense that Yes, I use music to curate kind of like the mindset. Because as you know, like <laughs> uh, growing up, man, there are so, so many songs that elicit an emotion within us. Uh, the first time we found love, you know, there, there was a song attached to that uh, usually. When we had heartbreak, there's a song attached to that. And even in uh, Alzheimer's and dementia, when we play music for people that have uh, maybe dementia, uh, it, it actually activates memories. So there, there's a beauty in vibration in life because your cells cannot hear, they cannot see, but they can feel. And my favorite um, example is, you know, if I come up to you uh, and I say, yeah, man, I, I, yeah, I love you. You're like, okay, I can, eh, I can feel that intonation, whatever, maybe it's agitated. But if I come up to you and genuinely say, you know, I love you, within that moment, you feel it, that, that vibration hits you and you feel loved. And so music is, um, I, I probably wouldn't do it without my music. And I do agree with that. Um, when I've done a lot of sessions as a counselor and sitting down with clients, um, I do believe lyrical analysis is very important along with making sure you're choosing the right type of music because the, the cadence in, in what you're yeah. hearing. And like you said, the intonation in someone's voice or the inflection can definitely play a huge part in the tone. Um, what we actually say and not say, nonverbal cues are a huge component um, in the therapeutic process. But um, when I think of meditation, um, I think of a lot of things that come to mind for me and even breath work. I think of like embodiment, connection and healing. I think those are three cornerstones, at least for me. Um, and then I also think of when, when we talk about like anchoring yourself, I believe in being in the present moment when you're doing meditation and mine is rooted in relaxation and like having a set of like a mental clarity um, because that helps me to be able to be centered and grounded. 
Um, can you kind of explain to the, the listeners, do you feel like there's a huge difference between um, meditation and breath work, or do you feel like they kind of go um, side by side? Uh, so everything is to me rooted in the breath. So breath work can be meditation. Uh, meditation is a little bit different from breath work for me, but one in the same in the sense of we're just breathing two different ways. And when I'm meditating, I'm breathing through my nose, which is the parasympathetic nervous system five seconds in slowly, five seconds out slowly. And I do that for, you know, five minutes before I even do anything. When we get into the breath work, the holotropic, what we're, <laughs> what I say is if you, you, if you came here for anything and paid anything um, for the five seconds in, five seconds out, that's, that's what you got. And you're going to love it because five seconds in, five seconds out, through the nose, slowly activating that parasympathetic nervous system when you're getting anxious, angry, uh, confronted, some whatever that is, to activate that parasympathetic nervous system will ground you, calm you, take you out of your emotions. And then I say, so that's how we should be doing breath Every single day in life, we should be sleeping and breathing through our nose, training our mind and, and body. And now we're going to throw all that out the fucking window. <laughs> because in the holotropic breathing, we breathe strictly through the mouth because we want to engage the sympathetic nervous system and we want to get emotional because a lot of our trauma is so emotional it's the the bottleneck in healing our trauma because once we think about trauma and trauma is you know for very very simple simplistic um terms it's just a memory but we now know that we have cell memory we have this trauma that ingrains itself in our fascia in our muscles so the only way to get it out, and it's not, you know, for most people, it's not using the masculine man brain of analyticals. It's delving into the sympathetic side, the, the, the divine feminine, and feeling those emotions and working through them. So, yeah, that's the big, big difference. Uh, to me. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And because I know a little bit about um, how that reacts, at least in my own body, when I think of the parasympathetic nerves versus sympathetic nerves, a lot of times when I think of sympathetic nerves, that's when you have more like the dilated pupils. Um, it sometimes can inhibit your saliva flow. For some people, it can accelerate your heart rate. And those are things that I've, I've experienced myself. Um, and then a lot of times when we think of like the fight or flight response, I think that plays a huge role. It prepares you when you're in a sympathetic activation period. That can be something that prepares you for it. And a lot of times when we think of just the triggers that we have, like you said, it's about 
trying to return to like homeostasis for a lot of people. Um, and so that's something I just wanted to kind of talk about just about how our nervous system can react. Um, but thank you for breaking that down for us. Yeah, thank you. All right, so now we're gonna kind of get into some hard hitting questions. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is just like your relationship um, being a Marine. Can you tell me about your family and friends reaction when they found out about you experiencing being an IED survivor and having a traumatic brain injury? How did they um, respond when they found out what happened? And do you mind sharing your experience? Yeah, so uh, I was blown up in a uh, car bomb uh, in Iraq as a private contractor. And I suffered a traumatic brain injury with uh, uh, a missile wound to the head. And I still have uh, a couple of metal, metal fragments in there. So some, sometimes I'm, when I talk, you will, if you know that, you might catch me, you know, uh, you might catch it. Uh, but since then, I've developed so many coping mechanisms, healthy coping mechanisms that most people would never know I have a brain injury and, you know, 25% of my skull is plastic, but their reaction was, you know, naturally traumatic. I almost died. I had to learn how to walk and talk again. And I had aphasia and that took a lot of time to rewire my brain. And in that process, I sunk into a deep depression and suicidal thoughts because here, here, here I am, here I was at the top of my game, making more money than I've ever made about to get promoted, you know, youngest guy to be a, a site security manager for an amazing company. And overnight, in one moment, it was all taken away from me. And who am I now? Uh, I would never go back to work uh, again. I, and I remember that the hardest part of, of reality was working through the delusion because I remember waking up in Germany and being pretty much catatonic and not being able to to walk or move or just laying on the bed. And all I could think of was, well, shit happens. They're going to fix me. I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to go back to doing what I love, which was, which was executive protection. And slowly the reality set in that, oh, wow, my, my injury is way worse than I thought it was. And when that set in, who am I? Who is Dave? Um, everything I had worked for, everything I had built up, my ego. But in that, it gave me this beautiful opportunity to, what I say, die to live again. Uh, burn like the phoenix. Whatever I thought I was as a man, as a, a masculine man and Marine and this and that. And through that process, uh, I did. I let the old Dave die and I started rebuilding what would become 
this new man, this new David. Uh, and in that, <laughs> through that, I came to love myself. I came to be more than I ever thought I could be. And that goes into facing trauma. Trauma just gives us this beautiful opportunity to show up. And how, how do we show up? Is it defeated? Um, and that's normal. Do we work through that defeat and reinvent ourselves? Do we show up as our higher self if we have those tools? So trauma to me now is just this beautiful, beautiful blessing to push our polarity in, in different ways as to grow. Thank you so much, David, for sharing that. I mean, when you were talking and, and reliving that experience, it just kind of put me in a place of just gratefulness of being that first of all that you're still here and alive and that you're able to talk about your trauma in a way where it can help hopefully inspire others to be able to discuss things they go through i know from my personal experience with trauma it's sometimes it's hard to discuss um in an open forum because there's still that judgment that's still there to a certain extent of you know when you talk about mm. it you know, how am I going to feel after sharing this? Do am I going to be in a safe space to share it with others and then share it within yourself? Because then you have to know if it's a triggering moment for you, if I should share all of the intimate details of it, or do I need a moment to kind of take a, a breath? And that's why you said the breath work will definitely play a huge role in how you're able to deal with that emotional trauma. Um, I think a lot of us, you know, in this world, we, we can struggle with a lot of just the insecurities of our past. But I think there's a lot of chaos that that we've gone through and we've experienced, which can hopefully allow us to draw order in our lives in a different way. And I really appreciated what you shared on Instagram. I wanted to I kind of it. talk about that for a second. You had mentioned that chaos attracts chaos. And you said, show up for mm -hmm. yourself, do the work, even if you don't think there is work to do um can you tell us about your intent for your life and even that message itself can you tell us about showing up for yourself what is that well i love what you said about you know explaining trauma and the judgment because we we don't talk about the chaos within ourselves we don't talk about the judgment and I think you more than I would, would know because um, you've been doing this a long time, uh, longer than I have. It, it, it occurs to me that one of the major blocks in healing judgment or pardon, healing trauma is the perceived judgment. Um, you know, people who were raped or molested by their loved ones, you know, how, how does that really impact our perception of ourselves? So it, it's, you're, you're making me think within the, the question. Uh, and I love that. Uh, and going back to the question, my life is all about healing myself. 
and then teaching others how to heal themselves, breaking that generational trauma. And once a person accepts that they do have chaos within themselves, uh, then that's the start of learning how to quell it. Once a person really accepts that, uh, who, who, why do I fucking care about this judgment? Like, why, why would I care to say it out loud what my trauma was? That is powerful because what I've seen in life is the most powerful people, the most influential people are the ones that step up to the table and say, listen, I'm fucked up. Um, and I only got better when I realized that, when I was unabashed by that, that radical truth to say, hey, uh, and I'm gonna tell you, David Kassler, David Gregory Kassler, I have cheated, I've lied, I've stolen, I have done stupid things that hurt other people. And I am not afraid to say that because in that I learned right from wrong. I did the work on myself. I sat with myself and had the either karmic download, which, you know, thank you. Thank you, source. Thank you, God, that I didn't have to experience um, like the karmic sledgehammer. Uh, but then I've experienced the karmic sledgehammer and karma is not a bitch. She's this beautiful um, chance to either realize what we are doing that hurts others or more importantly, sometimes every, everything we do that hurts another person hurts ourselves. We take a step back in, in our consciousness and it drags us back. But when we sit with ourselves and be honest with ourselves, that is the true warrior. That is the true goddess to be able to sit with yourself and say, man, I'm fucked up, but I'm not, not worthy of grace. I'm not, not worthy of redemption. So I will sit with myself and call myself out and be able, and in this moment, yes, I feel shame. I feel judgment, but I let that go. And I now know I will feel better because I'm living in truth, not lies. Wow, David. I mean, that was a mouthful. <laughs> I, I really appreciated that. I mean, at the, as you were talking, I was just being able to kind of do introspective work within myself as you were speaking. And it was just reminding me of something I've told clients many times. I always say the healing, just in my opinion, is like returning to the true essence within the core of who you are. And I feel like in discovering mm. the true you, that lies beneath that mask that we sometimes wear, we might have to wear to survive. And that's something that many of us have had to do for many years. 
you know, when we think of like Jahari's window, um, I always tell people that yeah. facade is the mask masking area. And a lot of people stay in the blind spot or the facade because that for them has been their safe zone or their comfort zone. And it's hard to take a risk by putting your true self, authentic self out there, because then that also goes into understanding how your brain works, how your body works. Um, coping with the lies that you told yourself um, plays a huge role as well for a lot of survivors of trauma. Um, but underneath that, you know, we have to find that coping strategy that works for us when we're dealing with deep rooted emotions and pains that we've gone through to find that healing. And I feel like for myself, I'm speaking personally for me, um, me being able to express my truth, um, I've done it through writing and speaking and just being able to share with others my, my own personal journey. And then it helps me to nurture my own body and then to also respect that physical strength within me. Because when I'm present within my own body, then I can embrace both the masculine and the feminine energies. And I feel like that is something we need to start to learn to accept that we have flaws within ourselves, um, but we can find unconditional love and positive regard. When I think of like the Rogerian approach, you know, that has always helped me. And that's actually one of the modalities I like to use um, because it's important for us to kind of find healthy choices to support ourselves. And that gives me in my, my mind um, respect and honesty and, and learning how to deal with these atrocities that we experience in life. It, it helps me to release my anger. And then I've also been able to deal with the shame and guilt. And I always tell people the differences between shame and guilt is um, I've done something bad versus I am bad. And a lot of times um, if we don't know the reasons and why we're doing the things we're doing or we haven't worked on healing um, some of those traumas, we can find ourselves kind of similar to being like a hamster on a wheel, just circling and not being able to make changes. Oh, yeah. But I appreciate yeah, I, yeah. I really appreciated you sharing it. That really helped me to kind of look into my own my own thoughts for sure. Mm, yeah, I, I was thinking about what you said. Uh, there is a beautiful transcendence in understanding the process because once we do hit that kind of like a little bit of more of an enlightenment it will break us down that that the dark night of the soul when we understand our own bullshit and what we've been doing that hurts ourselves and hurts others uh, there there is the possibility to feel so much shame uh, and guilt but there is also what I have experienced and what many people have experienced is the beauty in that. Meaning I've, I've sat there in a car ride uh, and it like a lightning bolt. It hit me of what I did to somebody else karmically because it was done to me and I bawled and I cried and I felt shame. I felt guilt, but then I also, in my tears, thanked karma for this beautiful lesson and this new understanding, because in that moment, I said to myself, I will never do this again. I will never harm myself in this manner 
and I will never harm anybody else because the reality is, and I teach my kids this, it's, it's about integrity, integrity for your soul. And if you know that you can do something wrong and nobody will ever find out about it, it's still wrong. And most people say, well, if nobody knows, then nobody gets hurt, you know? Uh, but the reality is, no, when we do something wrong, even if no one else gets hurt, it hurts ourself. It pulls us back into negative coping mechanisms uh, that are tied to our traumas and it doesn't really allow us to step forward in growth and introspection and honesty, like calling out our stuff and saying, no, this is, I know it's wrong. Even if no one would ever find out about it, it's wrong. And I, I have to hold myself accountable. And once we start to hold ourselves accountable to a higher standard, Man, that bandwidth of energy, it's so beautiful. It's something that we don't know because we never uh, experienced it because everything we know is in the circle of a con our, in our consciousness. And everything we don't know, we consider outside the circle of our consciousness. But the reality is everything we know and don't know is within that circle of our consciousness because I know I don't speak German. So I know what I don't know. And everything we don't know that we don't know is outside of the circle of consciousness. So a child doesn't know all these things. And as they learn, their consciousness grows, their understanding of themselves grows. And when we get into <laughs> like our middle ages, we stop growing. We think we know it all. And that is so detrimental, especially when we have trauma that we've developed coping mechanisms uh, to protect us and help us keep us safe. But then we take those coping mechanisms into adulthood and that becomes our personality and then it becomes our reality and so everything we see the ego just says hey everything i think is the way everybody else thinks but the reality is no we see two totally different views of life and you know i can i can go and drone on and on and on but that's where you and I sitting down and talking. That's where two lovers coming together and mirroring each other and showing each other the beauty of themselves and calling out, you know, uh, not the flaws, but the things that we need to work on mirroring, you know, that's where we find our tribe that mirror the best in us, but it's are not afraid to call out the things that we need to work on. That way we can expand our consciousness and learn the things that we don't know that we don't know.
you're right about that. And also being open to receiving that gift, which is honesty from someone else. I think that is something that can be really difficult if someone is not used to hearing someone being honest and authentic. Mm. And they're used to, like we talked about earlier, wearing that mask. It can be hard to connect with the light within you because many of us don't know how to, to find that inner creativity within ourselves. Or many of us have been in maybe in mesh relationships where we see a lot of scapegoating and victimhood, which plays a huge role in not being able to demonstrate the empathy and love for others because we haven't found it within our own selves. And so I always tell people when we talk about like mm. um, being dependent or we talk about rigid independence for a lot of people or the dysfunctional codependency, which a lot of people can struggle with. Um, a lot of times that can be not being able to draw lines in the sand or being able to set healthy boundaries because of that fear of, yep. you know, this is what I'm used to. This is what I've seen expressed in, in my pretty much in my familiar relationships. And so, like you mentioned, seeing your dad, which was a positive light who showed you, you know, what his definition of love was, it helped you to be able to transform that and share it with your family even with our flaws and all, you still never lost the core of who you were based on having that amazing upbringing. Um, I speak for myself. I know I didn't have that from my actual father, but I had it from my grandfather. And so being able to find that joy within me, I didn't have to feel like I was living in a stressful situation anymore because he was there and he accepted me. He was able to forgive me. He taught me how to forgive myself. And so it, it didn't, it really showed me how to trust. Um, he was like a trusted warrior for me. That's how I always like to identify him. Like he fought the fight. Um, and when he passed, I didn't feel like he was gone. You know, I didn't actually see him again until, when was that? That was actually last year in my dreams. And that was the first time I had seen him since 2003. So that was a very... Beautiful. long journey but I knew he had always been there protecting me supporting me loving me um throughout he was a part of that tribe for me and I felt supported but it was just such an amazing moment to actually see his face and I felt a strong white light around him and I'll never forget waking up and just smiling and I haven't had such a genuine feeling like that in a very long time and I'll never forget that next morning was the day when I had a, a huge um, test that I had to take and it went amazing. And I'll just never forget. I'm like, he was there. He, he was guiding me. He was telling me it's going to be okay. Um, he really helped me to relieve myself of a lot of the, the hurt and frustration that was still a part of me. And then I was finally able to feel free. And then ever since then, I, I felt like I have a different level of confidence um, within myself and that really helped me to reshape how I live and experience with others and I think that's helped me to become a better counselor and a better leader because I needed that that moment I needed to, to see him again and I have not seen him since in a dream but it was almost like that that nod you know heads up thumbs up saying everything's okay you got this why are you stressing you know yeah there's going to be pain in your life but you have to have joy in order to find pain as well and vice versa. And so for me, that really was my moment of clarity and it was what I needed to persevere and continue to fight despite um, that we all are, are striving each day to, to find ourselves. 
That's that's beautiful. You you your story had me smiling um, because I could feel the love of your grandfather. I could feel your love towards him and his love towards you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for letting me share that. I mean, people on this podcast probably have heard about Frank Alex Davis so many times. They're like, is this his show? Is this yours? I don't know. But I love being able to talk about him because he wasn't given the opportunities that I was. I mean, he grew up in a time period where he couldn't go to high school and graduate. He had to work. And he he faced a lot of racism, a lot of negative experiences. But he never had us to judge anyone for anything else and he always said that it's not about looking at that it's Mm. about judging yourself how you are actually responding and not how others are responding to you and so that was something where I had to do a lot of work within me if if I'm starting to feel some you know any type of um, issues within myself or feeling like there's something going wrong with someone else I need to actually check myself in the mirror and say what is it about you that's causing you to feel this way and how can you actually change this? And if you can't find any of those answers, then you really need to look within you of why are you having such a hard time, what's stifling you from actually doing that inner work. And so even before becoming a counselor, I've done work within me, which has helped me to curve a lot of my anger and frustration where I don't react the way I used to in my teens. Now, you know, being in my late 30s, I can actually sit back and say, you know what? I was very immature in that moment. I I definitely said things that I thought I would never say or did stuff that I was definitely ashamed and embarrassed by. But, you know, in growing, you know, you have to find within you that that love and you have to like yourself before loving yourself. And I finally have learned to love every part of me, even if no one else can be a part of that stage. I can stand on a stage with the light on me and not feel that same discomfort that I want to feel. Mm, and, and it's beautiful. And spiritually, you are one and the same with your grandfather because we are all descendants of each other. Uh, and and it's it's a when you get into get into um, uh, the you know quantum physics and talking about that, like we are all one and the same. We are the universe observing the universe. And you are literally the same as your grandfather. Genetically, everything he was, he passed down to you. And he, you are the version like 2.0, 3.0 of your grandfather. And a lot of what I, what I have seen and felt when people are depressed, suicidal, is this feeling of disconnectedness that, you know, I am not a part of the collective. I am a lone wolf dealing with my own um, trauma. No one could ever understand me. And it's, it's the sad disconnect. Um, even in religious terms, you know, I am one and a part of God, not separate. But we have gotten to this point, uh, everybody does, where we just feel separated 
from ourselves, from the collective good, collective love. And just right now, what we're doing is we're coming to the table and we're having a beautiful conversation. And in that conversation, we both hear each other, we both learn, and we hold up and affirm each other. And so I, I love the work you're doing is because you are bridge to a person's connectedness, because I'm pretty sure a lot of the people that you see and work with, and same thing with, uh, with the breath work and meditation, it, it only teaches us to, to sit with ourself, ground ourself, root ourself in this, this reality and realize that we are not separated. We are one and a part of this universe, this source, this God, this community. And once we understand that, that's the real resilience. Because when we are then separated, we stand affirmed and firm, knowing that we can get back to where we need to be. Like we're not lost in this world. You're right about that. I mean, I feel like resilience plays a huge role in just us as a community right now and in just in the United States alone, but of course across the world. We we have to find that that sense of self and also being willing to sit and listen and empathetically hear what people are trying to tell us. And I feel like that is one thing that that people are struggling with. And I always like to talk about the toxic uh, masculinity um, and how that plays a huge role for a lot of young people, especially people of color as well. Um, I feel like that is a major concern. Yes. And a lot of times statistically, um, especially with African-American for counseling, there's almost like a 50% ratio of will you be able to have someone to follow through with counseling after that first initial um, conversation. And as a counselor, I always have to be very careful not to just provide, in their mind, it, it may sound like lip service, but I'm trying to provide insight. And a lot of times you can help someone so much to you just give them just what they need, just enough information. They're like, oh, I have it, I got it, I don't need any more help. And you, you have to be so careful mm because they just want to know all the keys to fix themselves. And I always tell people when, when we think of trauma and grief and things we've experienced, sometimes we can get stuck at a specific age of when it happened and our maturity level, um, we can be stifled or yeah. we lose track of ourselves. And um, our brain fully develops around age 25. So just imagine if someone dealt with sexual or physical trauma or dealt with any types of illicit drug or alcohol use or consumption, and they are still struggling with identifying themselves through these traumas, you know, it's hard. You almost are like talking to a five or six year old in the room when you're a 50 year old woman or, or man who hasn't fully gotten to that part or that place to where they feel comfortable enough to work through the traumas, but they want that quick fix. Like this help fix me so I can can, can make a difference in my life. And I always like to tell my, my um, family, friends, as well as people I've counseled is that we're not broken people. 
you know, we, we, we aren't, you know, we have challenges, we have things we've experienced, but it doesn't mean we need to be fixed. We just need more tools in our toolbox so that we, that way we can be aware of things we can do to safeguard ourselves. And I always like to look at it like roadblocks. We can set roadblocks um, ahead or like even like signs, like a yield sign or do not disturb sign on our door. Like just letting people know that I need time to work on me before I can approach this situation. Or so I don't react. I can actually respond instead of reacting. And so for me, that's been something I've worked on in the last definitely 10 to 15 years of just being able to sit with my emotions, to not feel as though I have to be on a defense with others. But when things are brought to me, I can actually look at it from a different viewpoint. I don't have those rose-colored glasses anymore. I can actually say, this is where I am and this is where I want to be. Or if this is not where I want to be in this moment, then I have a right to you know, give someone some time and tell them, can you give me an hour or two hours or a day? And I'll get back to you. And then I actually get back to that person. I don't just put them off. I actually address it head on assertively instead of aggressive or passive aggressive. So I really, I appreciate you, David. Like I said, you really have helped not only me today. I think you're going to help so many people who listen to this episode. They're going to be able to go back to this and say, that was a good point. They'll be able to pause it and say, I need to write this down because David is really not only giving us a lot of insight into his life. And it's kind of like a camera. We're able to kind of take a snapshot of what you said and, and be able to look at it as it develops. But it's more of like, this guy has gone through a lot, but he hasn't given up. And I think you're, you're the definition of resiliency in my opinion. Oh, no problem at all. So I only Thank have you, two more Thank questions you. for you. I'm going to ask the first one. This is one question I ask every guest. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would you tell him? So that's very simple for me. Um, I wouldn't go back and I wouldn't tell him anything. Uh, I believe in the butterfly effect and whatever I would tell him would change the course of my life. And maybe I wouldn't be here right now. Maybe I'd be, you know, doing something else and happier or doing something. Uh, I did something else. and I'm not happy. Uh, I don't play with fate. I don't play with the timelines. I'm here right now and everything that kind of like I would have told myself back then would be like, Hey man, like, so don't do this because this is going to cause you pain. But if I don't experience that pain, how do I grow? How do I learn how to show up for myself and for others? So yeah, I don't play the timeline. (laughs) All right. I love that answer. And the last question I have for you, David, is can you tell our listeners where can they find you online? And if you don't mind sharing, what's next for you? Something that you have coming up very soon. Uh, right now, you can find me on Instagram, david.gregory.castler or sackbreathwork.com. And, you know, what I have coming up right now is working on myself, working on the programs, my pathway program uh, to take the breath work combined with trauma healing into trauma centers, detox centers. Uh, That's right now, that's 
that's my focus. That's my purpose. That's my passion. And, you know, honestly, I don't know it all. So learning more, uh, expanding more of my consciousness, doing some more uh, plant medicine and retreats and uh, uh, talking to people like you that inspire me also to, you know, be a better mirror and resonate my words better, use my words better in, in a manner that is not egotistical. It's just helpful. David, this has been probably one of the best conversations. I'm, I'm honest on this that I've had in a very long time. Nothing, of course, against any other guests I've talked to, but I felt something completely different in talking with you today. It was like you felt like a weight was lifted off of your shoulders talking with you. And I feel like that's because you are yourself and you're not putting on any type of airs for anyone else. You're just David and people can accept it or reject it, but you're trying to move forward and you're not looking backwards. And I feel like that was something I felt in this entire conversation. It was more of a, a man who's learning to show other men and women that it's okay to be different it's okay to, to find that divine healing within you, but you still have to work on it each and every day and don't lose sight of what it took to get you to the point in where you are now. And I just, I'm very honored, first of all, that you agreed to be on the show, but that you just really lived your full authentic self on this episode. And I'm glad that you're actually my last guest for season seven, because I wanted to end off with the right person at the right time to share a story that I felt was going to be important for us to learn from. And I felt like today was truly one of those moments for me. It's, it's been an honor. Um, anytime I get to sit with good people and have good conversations, I am highly, highly grateful. So thank you for having me on and uh, bantering with me. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to have you back in the future. If you're ever interested months down the line or whenever, just reach out to me and say, hey, I want to talk. And this is something I've learned. It's something I want to share. I want you to come back anytime you want. You have an open invitation to most definitely come back and share yourself with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Uh, there's so much more to talk about and so much more to delve into. So maybe I'll be the first person in the new season. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you, David. And let's remember you guys to embrace our uniqueness because the world is our canvas. Well, I really have had such an amazing time with you again, David. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And thank you for sharing your morning and your time with us. This has just been an enlightening moment for me. And I want you to just continue to live your truth. And I'm here 100% to support you in anything. If you need me, reach out. You too, brother. Have a good, have a great day. All right, day. you too. Bye. I'm not afraid of